Now, if you feel like you can never get on top of your back of house ops, you'll want to hear about our sponsor for this season, Loaded. Loaded's hospitality management software has changed the game for hospitality performance in New Zealand, and they've just arrived in Australia to help you do the same. Their everything-in-one-place platform helps you master your reporting inventory, simplify your recipe and menu management, reduce your cogs, and become an epic central hub that immediately puts you in control. I've seen Loaded's impact firsthand, and if you're running a bar, pub, restaurant or cafe, you need to reach out to their team. Check them out at loadedhub.com. Welcome to another Principal of Hospitality podcast. I'm your host, Sean DeVries. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. Principle of Hospitality has been developed to tell the stories of professionals within the dynamic world of hospitality. We're straight-talking, ethically-minded, and a reliable online source of information and inspiration for people in the hospitality industry. Now, with today's show, today we're excited to have Fidesz May Santos, one of the co-founders of Entrepreneurs, joining us to discuss their latest project, The Calamansi Story. This project aims to raise awareness for the Filipino community in Australia, the cultural importance of calamansi or Filipino lime in Filipino cuisine. Fidesz and her co-founder, Grace, have been working tirelessly to showcase Filipino food and culture through so many different initiatives, including this year's Melbourne Food and Wine event, Seafood Stars and Stories. So let's dive into Filipino cuisine, culture and community and learn how the calamansi story is making a difference. Hey Fidesz, how are you? Oh my god, what an intro, Sean. I love it. How are you? I'm Thanks for pr- having us. I'm pretty well. I'm glad I I'm glad I got through that. I realize sometimes when I do an intro that I bite off more than I can chew, and that was definitely one of those times. <laughs> you did well in my view. Thank you. It's so awesome to have you here and like we've known each other for a couple of years. I feel so privileged to have known you the last couple of years. I'm, I'm, you know, really excited to talk about Filipino culture. Let's talk about the inspiration behind Calamansi's story and your mission to really bring Filipino cuisine, culture and community to Australians because I know it's a really exciting one. Yeah, absolutely. Just for the benefit of those who aren't familiar of who we are, we are the entrepreneurs. So we are a collective of food-loving, enterprising Filipino Australians working together to bring cuisine, culture and community to the hearts, minds and taste buds of Australians in the Wurundjeri country. And a big part of the entrepreneur's mission is to learn, educate and explore the possibilities of Philippine produce and to bring awareness to the valuable contributions of Filipino migrants, especially in the domain of food. So the Kalamasi story really is, you know, the epitome or a perfect example of, of our mission and our vision for Filipino food cuisine, culture, and community. And just to talk a little bit about calamansi, because and that's the whole point, because not a lot of people know about calamansi. So calamansi mm. is a Tagalog term for Philippine lime, and it's very much part of our Filipino food culture. It's also known as calamondin, and there's a whole range of other terms depending on which country you're, you know, you're seeing it from. But it's a small citrus fruit with a bright orange flesh and a peel that goes from green to orange as it ripens. And it tastes sour with a hint of sweetness like a mix between a lime and a mandarin. 
and it has a really distinct aroma. So it's citrusy and floral. Once you smell it and you peel it or you squeeze it, it's really distinct and unique. And it's indigenous to the Philippines. And Filipinos love it in traditional and modern dishes, in marinades, especially in salsawan, you know, your dipping sauces, you mix it up with different other condiments and, and the range of beverages as well. So in fact, a bit of history here, before the entrepreneurs, calamansi actually featured in a 2018 Melbourne Food and Wine menu where I donated calamansi from my, for a local community lunch event. Mm. And it was served as a side to the main dish and it was labelled kumquat marmalade Ooh. on the menu. So calamansi is in Kwamkwat and it is so much more than marmalade. And so this humble fruit actually, and this is very much the, the core of the calamansi story, represents a deeper connection to our migration story. You know, like many Filipino diaspora families, many will have a backyard calamansi tree. Mine is 35 years old. It was planted by my dad and nurtured and all the abundance, the fruits as well as propagating from the tree has been shared with family and friends over the years. My dad would sort of propagate one and grow it in a pot and then gift that to family that have migrated to Melbourne. So it's kind of multiplied in a way. Mm. But if you look at the tree now, it actually looks like it's got, you know, three or four big trunks. It's, it's quite quite strong and solid and continually grows. And, and yeah, so it really symbolizes the migrants of my parents, my generation and all the sacrifices and the hardship, blessings and joy and privilege that have come with it. So in essence, the Kalamazi story is a call to action around the possibility of our food and our culture and community through the lens of Kalamazi. And Filipinos, as you know, and it's been part of our sort of narrative, is the fifth largest group of Australians born overseas. And there are many untold stories and voices underrepresented. And Sean, I know you're very passionate about this as well mm. with your work. And it's like our cuisine and its unique flavours, such as the sweet and sour calamansi. And, you know, I think hospitality, where like we have seen the growth, for example, of the, the rising trajectory of Japanese yuzu. Right. So it's really caught our attention. And our question to ourselves is, if, you, if yuzu can, then why not calamansi? I mean, there's even a mountain yuzu in, in Euroban, in regional Victoria. My God, the dream would be a mountain calamansi. Can you imagine that? <laughs> so our question is, could calamansi be, in fact, the next hit citrus fruit? And we actually pitched the story to Audrey Berger and Faricello, and that was the first media coverage that we had back in with SBS Food back in 2020, I think. And so that really sort of instigated a lot of our work. And we've, over time, the calamansi has evolved and we've incorporated in a whole range of you know events, menus, curated yeah, masterclasses, social media and food campaigns that we do for Philippine government and, a whole, and even calamansi for a cause fundraisers. So it's really become a symbol of our advocacy. Mm. So in 2022, Grace and I secured funding from the Australian Asian Council of the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade to realise an Australian First Legacy project, which we've termed Project Balik Bayan, the Kalamansi story. Balik Bayan means return to country. So recognising our motherland, but also our adopted country, Australia, and really the opportunities between the two nations through cuisine, culture and community. So we kind of dubbed this as the a first of its kind three-part legacy project, the book, the film and the craft beverage. And the Kalamansi story aims to bring awareness to the valuable contributions of Filipino migrants in Australia and educate Australians on the possibilities of Filipino produce through storytelling, creative collaboration and innovation. And the project was launched in April 23, as you mentioned in your intro, as part of Australia's iconic and beloved Melbourne Food and Wine Festival. And to date, the project has generated 147 pieces of media 
with wow. a combined reach of about 3.7 million people and clocking more than 3.9 million people on social media interactions. And we're still counting. <laughs> so it's been amazing. Fidesz, why do you think, when you said, you said people from the Philippines, the fifth largest population, sixth largest population in Australia, right? Fifth largest. Yeah. <sighs> that just blew me away when I read that a couple of months ago. And I was just so surprised. I mean, my partner is Filipino and, and I've been, you know, lucky enough to be part of a little bit of the Filipino culture the last sort of five years or so. And it just blew me away how welcoming the Filipino culture is. And, and I just wondered with that, especially when I saw, you know, it's the fifth largest group in Australia, why from a cultural perspective, why from, you know, a hospitality perspective, it's just been so, upper, you know, un, underrepresented to this kind of point. Because if you, if you think about Filipino culture coming through, especially in a place like Melbourne at the moment with brands like Sarai mm. or, or Caraton Sobetes or, or something like that, like they're only now starting to pop through the last couple of years. And obviously with the amazing work that you, Grace, and the team have done, over that period of time as well. Like, what what do you think it's taken so long for people, for mainstream Australia to wake mm. up to the amazingness of Filipino cuisine and culture? It's such a good question, and we've been asked this multiple times, and there's so many different perspectives. And within the actual book of the Calamansi story, ad- academic and fellow editor Christina Kino gives a bit more of an academic lens to it. But from our perspective, I mean, obviously... You know, when Filipinos, when my parents gener- migrated to Australia, and uh, I'm, I'm assuming a lot of other parents as well in that first generation, a lot of them just wanted to just assimilate and ensure that they can find a job, do the work and take care of their family. Mm. So entrepreneurship wasn't really, or starting a business, there's so many risks around that. And that would that would be sort of a, yeah, a greater, not greater effort, but there's a lot of, a lot of work in that. And so I think... That's, that's kind of influenced a bit of, of that. And, and they very much kept a lot of the culture and the food within their households, within their homes. And what we're seeing now, and I guess that was our call to action as well. Why is it that we are the large, one of the largest migrant groups, but it's not really reflected in our land, landscape or food landscape in Melbourne especially? And that was actually our call to action, Grace and I, to get together and, and start up the entrepreneurs. And then what we're finding now, since we started in 2018, we're finding the likes of the Sarais and the Caritas Sorbetas and others coming into fruition. I feel that a lot of it has this, there's some link to some this colonial men- mentality mm. that we are not good enough and that our food is might not be good enough for others to be on the global table as other cuisines. And so I think it's that mindset shift that we are trying to, to I guess, break. Filipinos need to be proud of their food. Filipinos need to be proud of their culture, proud enough that they are that they are willing to be front and centre and not waiting to be invited to the table but creating a table for their own. Mm. And I feel that, you know, what we're trying to do with the entrepreneurs and, and our activities and the Calamansi story, that's exactly what we're, we're saying, is that we are good enough, be proud of who we are and invite everyone else to come to the table. So I feel like there is definitely a movement, a momentum happening right now, Sean, and you mentioned this. And I think the more, the louder and prouder we are about our culture and our food, everyone will come along for the right. Everyone will be curious and wanting to know more. And I think that's, that's the kind of narrative that we want to be pushing. That's awesome. Since yeah. you and Grace sort of started this 
project in, in 2018. Have there been other parts of the Australian community that have that have come to you, like cultural parts of the community that come to you and loved what what the team is doing and said, hey, like we think we can learn something from what you're doing with this project and, and we want to take that on ourselves yeah. for our our cultural community as well? Like has that sort of happened? Yeah, I think within our own community, especially the second, third generation of Filipino Australians who majority maybe have, have born here were born here, they are through our work, they're reconnecting and wanting to reconnect on a deeper level about their um, culture mm. to the point where they would start a, a restaurant. You know, we see that with Janine, with Chabog and the team at Migrant Coffee, for example, mm. but also chefs who have been working in the back of house wanting to now be front and centre and be front of house and be head chef offering Filipino food like our beloved Bunstot, which is which means younger brother or young young sibling, Ross Magnaye. Mm-hmm. You know, even him like two or three years ago, when we first did our event with him in Melbourne for the wine 2019 at Rice, Paper, Scissors where he was head chef. Filipino dishes weren't front and centre. They were probably on a limited rotating menu. And then fast forward to today, I mean, he, he owns his restaurant and the menu and the food is about Filipino, mm. Filipino flavours with the Australian modernity in there. And we also reach out and we, so we're finding a lot of those, in the third, second, third generation really sort of connecting back to us and wanting to be part of our, I guess, our movement and using their spaces and voices to amplify. Mm. And I think that's kind of where we're finding the, the magic is that we are but one voice if we can create the spaces and places for the community, whether they be first, second, third generation, and yeah, and just collectively being loud and proud of our culture and voices, we can reach more people, we can influence change, we can impact, I guess, even just the mindset that we are good enough, then, then we've done, I guess, our, vi- our mission proud. And, and, it, and we say it's a legacy project, this Kalamasi story, because it doesn't start and end there Mm. it's a it's a living and breathing project that we hope that the next generation and we're talking about from grace and i's perspective our children will continue will continue on but without with embracing and acknowledging and understanding our past to influence and you know build a better future love it you talked at the start about three different elements which you're concentrating on one of them obviously the product which we'll get into later in the podcast the book and obviously yeah. uh, the film, you did that in collaboration with Feature Media. Like, can you tell us about that collaboration and, and what people have learnt from the film, how that came about? So the, the documentary is co-produced with one of the Philippines' best digital storytellers and producers and now actually a 2023 James Beard Award recipient, which is phenomenal. Wow. So Erwan Husaf, who owns the Fat Kid Inside Studios and Feature Media in the Philippines, we also work with F&B consultant and community change maker and mutual friend Kathy Caprio and the Melbourne video- videographers Kurt Balliner and David Sheen. So it was a dream collaboration overall with around, at the moment, well, 8.4 million social media followers of Erwan and, and, and his feature media channels alone. So we knew wow. that. Partnering with him, one, will enable us to reach a wider audience locally and internationally, but also just in terms of just the the talent and the, I guess, shared values and vision for our cuisine. That was really, really important. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, Ross of Sarai actually introduced everyone to us back in 20, 2019. 
and we've been engaging with Erwan on and off over the course of a few years. And we shared our early ideas on the Kulamansi story when he was in Melbourne just before the pandemic. I can't remember that. That was a whole another world. <laughs> and which eventuated in a letter of support as, as our project partner in what would be a successful grant submission. So we co-created. So once it was announced that we did, we were successful in our submission, we co-created with him the narrative around the story. We locked in key contributors both in Philippines and Melbourne which included obviously Russ, the filming, and then the post-production over a period of six months. The Philippines used to be one of the biggest exporters of this fruit, but we are now starting to get left behind. So what happens next? So the, the you know this documentary was filmed in the Philippines and Melbourne. It's 40 minutes long, and it offers a deeper understanding of the citrus fruit, its impact on lives and livelihoods from the farmers and communities that grow it, and you'll see some of those featured in the uh, doco, businesses who innovate and bring it to the market and families who migrate to other countries, such as myself and Grace, we feature in there, which is fun <laughs> and nerve-wracking at the same time. And then we've, you know, and planting its seeds to mark a new beginning and, and stay connected to our culture. So it talks about the importance of food as well and the food origins and the need to preserve the value of the Kalamansi. The documentary currently is uh, available on Features' YouTube channel and it's currently... I think received just over a quarter of a million views, which is wow. phenomenal, well and five, more than 500 comments. And the comments are really fascinating. We we monitor them, and it really provides us a sense of not so much validation, but encouragement that we are on the right track in terms of the storytelling and the relevance of, I guess, the conversations we're having around Kalamansi, but more broadly around our culture and our community as well. Amazing. Did you, did you find it a long time to sort of put that story together and get, you know, and get people involved? Or was it something that as soon as you got some momentum with it, that it was like all guns blazing, like we're going to tell this amazing story and we're going to, we're going to have people be part of it. Did it, did it take a long time or was it, was it pretty, pretty quick? No, it didn't. Because, you know, over the years we have been featuring Kalamansi and, and, you know, and we're very vocal in terms of our advocacy across our different platforms. And so I think, it really almost is a culmination of all of our work over the last two, three years. So reaching out to the, the people that we did, it, it didn't take long at all. It was mostly really just aligning diaries and schedules. You know, even Mr. Pat Nurse from Food & Wine Victoria was amazing. He continues to be an amazing support and he features in the, in the documentary to give that in industry and future perspective around the possibility of calamansi in Australia. Mm. And then obviously we featured, you know, the farmers in the Philippines, some of the businesses that, you know, market it and package it up wholesale and some of the chefs as well, both here in the Philippines, you know, Ross also features here. We actually filmed at Sarai for a whole day, bringing in a few of the, you know, culinary talent within Melbourne to talk about their experience around Kalamansi, which really sort of provided that diversity in, in, in perspective and migrant experiences. Mm. So it was real community coming together. And, you know, and it really, for us, for Grace and I, really just cemented how, how strong our community are when, when we have a shared value and we have a shared vision. So, and we, we absolutely just loved working with Erwan and his team so professional, so humble, and, yeah, it, we couldn't be more proud of the outcome. <laughs> That's really great to hear. Let, let's talk about the publication. So it's another one of the three elements. So obviously that features essays and stories and recipes, art and music, 
you had a lot of contributors on that as well. What were the highlights of of producing that publication and, and also working with, you know, a lot of different contributors on that project, I imagine, as well? Yeah. I think the highlight for us is really it's always been community first and it was important to for that this book reflected that so is you know for community by community so we invited written and visual submissions of personal stories on migrant experiences told through the encounters of Kalamansi from individuals of Filipino heritage living in Australia and the experience of Filipino migrants hasn't really been spotlighted in the mainstream nor told through their own voices so the publication aimed to publish or disrupt this. So we enlisted the editorial leadership and insights from sociologist and migration scholar Christina Kino, seasoned arts writer and designer Mariam Arcilia, and multimedia designer and fellow entrepreneur Maisie Lesiones. So as Christina Kino shares in the introduction, and that introduction is something else like you know, it's 10 pages long, but it is phenomenal in terms of the academic lens and some of the research that she has done over the years around migration, Filipino migration. So she talks about the stories. So the stories about Kalamansi shared in this book highlight that Filipino food in Australia has always been celebrated. It is acclaimed in Filipino homes, Filipino parties, Filipino community festas, celebrated in the handing down recipes from one generation to another in Filipino families. So that's where I guess a lot of our food culture has has been retained and and you know passed on. But I guess you know through these we're bring, we're creating the publication enables us to share that and amplify that in a more public way. Mm. So the clemency story invites readers to use food as an everyday lens to understand the experience of Filipinos as migrants in Australia. There are 34 original works in there, as you mentioned, essays, stories, recipes, amazing art and music. Many contributors are young Filipinos who will be published for the first time. So that's really exciting. Mm. Alongside esteemed contributors such as historian, author and Order of Australia Medal recipient, Dr. Deborah Ruiz Wall, second generation Filipino Australian interdisciplinary artist, Teresa Angela Kalimlim, whose artwork titled Feast of the Juicy Prut, with a P, not an F, <laughs> graces the front cover, a visual reference to the Filipina exploring the ideas of the mother, nurturance, and ritual. So, from the outset, when you see the, the front cover, it all, already sparks some thoughts and ideas and that's that whole idea like it's really to to sort of trigger some curiosity to pick it up and want to read more mm. we also have first nations filipino musician mojo ruiz de luzuriaga or in the music world they're known as moju who generously offered the lyrics of to three of uh, to three new songs featured in their new album, Ora Mata Plata. And we use these to dem- demarcate prevailing themes around the Kalamasi as a vehicle to navigate settlement, to forge senses of identity and belonging, and interrogate the role of f- the food plays in, in the politics of race and multiculturalism in Australia. But for Grace and I, from a personal level, as I mentioned to you, you know, as mothers to young third generation Filipino Australians, it was important for us to preserve these stories, to bridge the gap, to foster deeper understanding and appreciation of who they are and where they came from. So that when our story ends, theirs continues. So sour or sweet, these stories really offer a taste of hope, possibility and action. And, you know, it's it's been such a, a blessing to be working with such talented people, but also 
realizing and, and reading other stories of other migrant stories of other Filipinos because they're not always all happy and joyful. There's a lot of pain and sacrifice and it's really sort of an all-encompassing book that gives you a taste of just some of those experiences that we've gone through. Just interrupting this podcast to let you know that Fine Food Australia returns this September, the 11th to the 14th to Sydney and will occupy the entire ICC Sydney. That's four levels of fine food. Fine food has been the leading trade event for all food, from retail to hospitality, manufacturing to bakery for nearly four decades. Visiting fine food will be the recipe to fast track your business for commercial success. Just a reminder that this event is free to attend, so make sure you register at finefoodaustralia.com.au. Now back to our podcast. First of all, you should be a podcast host with how effortlessly you got through those those beautiful names. That was fantastic. Secondly, in, rega- in regards with the publication, like, do you see this as like sort of the first kind of like? Do you hope to do more volumes over the over the coming years and just tell more stories? Is that it's it's an ongoing publication, that a bit would, like what you're doing naturally? Yeah, that would be a dream. I mean, when we were, when we were just like you know thinking about the future of the book and what we can do. I mean, we'd love to do a podcast. We'd love to do a volume two. There are so many other stories that have that need to be told, and they and we know that. So we are publishing a digital version of the current book. I'm really talking futuristic here now. <laughs> the current version, the current volume, will be published also online. Just also, it was important for us to offer accessibility to the stories because really the the objective is to share and amplify so that there's more understanding of our experience, the migrant experience and so forth. So, yes, we're selling the book. We only really printed 200 copies and so we're almost sold out on those. An element of that is also being contributed to a social enterprise back in the Philippines to support Filipino farmers and programming. But we hope to, yeah, to definitely extended i think when we say it's our legacy the legacy project continues to, to is a living project and we hope that we can so whether it's through additional grant funding or you know i guess sweat equity we hope to <laughs> continue to continue the work whether mm. it's in you know digital or book form it'll be great to do more when you and grace started this project and i understand why you caught it Calamansi and why that was important as you told the story at the start. Like I often think when, when you were talking through that for Des, like I was thinking about my Dutch culture on my father, on my father's side and, and how we would go to my, my grandparents' house at the time and they would be growing things like rhubarb and cabbage and stuff like that, which was so important to Dutch culture. Mm. Right. But when you, when you both started this project, did you, did you realize how much of a symbol Calamansi was actually, because even, I imagine your dad would have planted that as a real sort of connection to be for him to be back home in a way, like for your family to be around this tree. Like, yeah. Not at all. I mean, growing up, I didn't really take notice of the Clemency tree. (laughs) Yes. You know, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't, I did, <laughs> it was, you know, the, the earliest memory I have of calamansi is being served calamansi juice after we take a bath. My parents did that each time in the Philippines or, you know, as a health remedy beverage if you had a cold, but I didn't really take notice of it. 
And I feel like it is the perfect example because from a cultural perspective, growing up, I didn't really pay attention to my culture either. Mm. I mean, yes, mum cooked, mum and dad cooked the Filipino cuisine and dishes. We were surrounded by Filipino families and whatnot, but it wasn't really as important then as it is now for me. And Grace, I think becoming mothers has really sort of been a catalyst for that. And so... Even when we started the, the, the entrepreneurs, it wasn't about, we didn't think about the Kalamasi story at all. Like I said, it only happened or the light bulb moment only happened as we, while we were sort of in the midst of it all, you know, we featured it in events and menus and things like that. And then also just tracking the story around Yuzu. It kind of just, and, you know, we've had some conversations with the team, the wonderful team at Capi Australia as well. You know, I've always... One, I have a picture, a screenshot in my phone, the yuzu sparkling water. I'm like, what if Kalamansi yeah. sparkling water can happen? <laughs> that was kind of the beginning, right? Mm. And I've been trying to like, you know, and Grace was like, yeah, that's great. And, but then the, and then we delve deeper into Kalamansi and what it actually can re- mean to our family. And we realized, you know, knowing that many have a Kalamansi tree in their backyard, why? Why do they do that? I mean, it's it's they they feature into their food, but I don't think necessarily it's been thought about in that lens. I think even our initial conversation with Erwan, I can recall this because I'm talking about this idea, and he goes, "Why calamansi?" A lot of Filipinos were like, "Why calamansi?" But then the more we we sort of socialized it and featured it in our storytelling, in our events, in our in our projects, in our fundraisers. It made so much sense. And it was just, yeah, I, I can't explain it, but it, it just made so much sense. And so that was kind of the, yeah, we did not think, start it and think about it in that regard, but it has become and evolved into such a, a perfect advocacy symbol for our work. Mm. I, th- I think uh, from reflecting back on sort of, my grandfather at that time, I think it's about the connection to the product, not the product. That's right. And I think that's that's one of the things when I say, you know, kumquat is not kalamansi. It's not so much the botanical or the scientific names or anything. It's what it represents for us. Mm. So, and we, we, Grace and I, it was really important for us to, and we've, we were seeing a lot of products featuring Kalamansi, beverages, tea, whatever, whatever, right? And it, there was, it was great they mentioned the Kalamansi in there, but there was no story or narrative or the relevance or the deep connection it has to the product or to the makers or to just in general. So that was the space that's the space that we want to occupy. We want to take ownership of it. We have the, I mean, we, it's not a, in terms of the narrative and and the the connection to our to our culture, mm. that's kind of where we wanted to make the impact. And and I think through the Kalamasi story, that's that's really helped us do that. Mm. And we hope, yeah, that it just grows into a you know a, a bigger thing. Like we hope that through the through this project, there will be more awareness around our cuisine, which we kind of like really was the beginning, the starting point for us as the entrepreneurs. Mm. But it's so much more. And we know that, so, yeah. 
I think that dovetails into the last question quite nicely, which is a really important and, and exciting part of this of this project. Obviously, the Calamansi Cider Crush, which you've done in collaboration with Victorian DV Cider. Let's talk about you know how that collaboration came about, like why that was significant as part of this project as well. Yeah, look, we go. Jenny has been a kindergarten school mum friend. <laughs> since our now teenage daughters were classmates. She's yeah, a, cool. She's lived in Altona as I at the same time as I have, but they've moved over to to deep Darawit Gwim in the last decade or so. But I've been following her cider making journey and this kind of led to an early conversation over Instagram back in July twenty twenty. I literally trawled through my my Instagram threads. <laughs> and two and a half years later, the Clemency story brought the entrepreneurs, so myself, Grace and Maisie, to regional Victoria to explore the possibilities of producing a Clemency cider crush or the Clemency crush cider with them. And DV is owned both by Jenny and her partner, chief cider maker and chef, Mark Serafino. And Mark is very, very, as a chef, you know, for, first taste is the most important part of his cider making I guess approach and we were relieved to get Mark's approval in the first taste test so we gave him a sample of calamansi he literally had jugs of different types of cider and cider mixes based on what he's already made he taste tested it I literally was holding my breath and so when he tasted it and mixed it up tasted it he I remember vividly he said that's lovely let's bottle it up right now (laughs) I'm like yes I think I did a jump of joy (laughs) <laughs> it was awesome. And actually, I think that was captured in the in the, in the documentary. Mm-hmm. We actually filmed at DV Cider as well, mm-hmm. uh, just before the, the actual product manufacturing of it. So it's a really amazing thing to see, you know, the early conversation and the, you know, and then actually when we launched it, having the product stuff in your hand, seeing the, the story and then having it in your hand. So... Uh, so the way this works, so obviously I had that connection back to Jenny and Mark's, you know, endorsement of the flavour and taste was amazing. So that was kind of our green light to go ahead. So as we know, Calamansi isn't really available at scale here, commercial scale. So through an existing partnership we had in a Philippines provider, a supplier, we literally sourced 100 litres of Calamansi, F-rated it wow. <laughs> to Melbourne. <laughs> That was a whole nother thing in itself, but we got them here. And that was expertly then blended by Mark with his heritage ciders, apples grown in Stevie Cider and packaged up in a beautiful label. And it was important for us to tell a bit of our story on that label as well and produce a limited release of 14,000 cans. So I haven't had an update on the stock yet, but we are so proud that, you know, this drink, well, to us, it's more than just a drink, right? It's It represents a cross-cultural story mm. again of possibility a common thread across the three elements of the clumsy story which is important that's the link and through this beverage we are inviting australia to our table we're offering a refreshing taste of philippine produce in a format that people in a fun format you know that's sort of a really nice entry point we're showcasing what's possible when advocacy meets enterprise we are opening doors of commercial opportunity between Philippines and Australia and we're building curiosity, awareness and demand. And so this delicious collaboration, what I say is born in the Philippines as in the Kalamansi and crafted with love and care in regional Victoria is now available online at dvcider.com.au and a s- selected 
restaurants while stocks last because it is only 14,000 cans. Mm. So I want to just give a shout out to Jenny and Mark for their willingness and generosity and trust to collaborate with us on this. And if you get a chance, can I invite and encourage your your listeners to go visit Divisada? They're a family-run business and their hospitality is truly first class. So it's been a fun project. I think I was really, for me and Joyce, it was really an opportunity for us to delve into, you know, new product making, but at the same time also, I guess for me it was a MVP, so minimum viable product, mm. but that we can really showcase at our events, but also showcase to I guess, change makers, leaders, investors about the opportunities around Philippine produce and commercial ideas and opportunities between Australia and the Philippines. So whilst it tastes amazing, which it does, and Sean, have you tasted it? Not yet, no. <laughs> oh, I, yet. Am, I am after this podcast, so trust me, tastes- yes. <laughs> <laughs> while it tastes amazing, it also has a, you know, a real purpose to it as well. Do you think there's, with the success of that product so far, like do you think it will lead to more versions of that in cider or in other beverages? Like is, is, that, is, is that what your hope is to try and get use, use calamansi as like the vehicle for conversation around Filipino culture in Australia? Yeah, absolutely. And if it can – and if we has to be in a product like a calamansi cider, so be it, absolutely. And I feel that – yeah, it is only the beginning and it is an example of what can can be achieved. And I think it's a, it's really, for, for us, it's, we were for, very fortunate to collaborate with a local craft maker insider. And I think that's kind of what we want to say is like, you know, through this, through the Columacy Cider, there is such amazing opportunities for creative collaboration, produce, maker, Philippines, Australia, Australia, Philippines. So it's really just opening up the conversation and the opportunity and the thinking around what's possible. Mm. Yeah, my gosh, I was saying to Mark already, I was saying, Mark, have you been paying attention to this low, low, no alcohol, low alcohol, although it's not trend anymore, I think it's here to stay, Yeah. Um, given the rise of health and wellness. So he's like, yes, I've been paying attention to that, but I'm not sure. I think that will just require a bit more work. So <laughs> I'm already trying to spark ideas with Mark, but I would love to see a, something like that, a bit more of a, a low-cal, low no-alcohol version or, you know, a calamity gin. So it would be really amazing to see other products, not just in beverage, but other, other products, consumables that can really highlight and celebrate cal- the calamity flavour, mm. but also then as an intro to Philippine produce in general. Yep, totally agree. With so many exciting things happening and so many conversations that you have been having around the around the industry, around Filipino and Australian culture, like what what are you excited about to sort of finish off 2023 for Des? Like there's, there's a lot to be energised about with what you and Grace and the rest of the team are doing. Absolutely. I feel like after the Clemency story launched, though, because it was, you know, three products and a major event, <laughs> we I'm still kind of recovering. <laughs> but I'm loving these conversations because it's keeping it alive. <laughs> yes. So I, I would really just hope that when I mean, we talked about this throughout the podcast, so I would just really hope that the Clemency story doesn't stay just stagnant, that it is just the start. It, it I guess, I guess we want to inspire, continue to inspire. And for me, really, the, you know, the 
extraordinary happens at the intersection of entrepreneurship, innovation and culture and with community and purpose at its heart. So for me and Grace, the Columacy story is that and more. And we're no longer, like I said before, we're no longer waiting for a seat at the table. We're creating and building our own for our own cuisine, our culture and community. And we're inviting Australia to join us. So it's part of our legacy and it's or what we call this is our pamana. Pamana means legacy. Mm. So we hope that the the story, the Columacy story, both the book, the film and and the drink, the cider, inspires and calls to action, you know, you know, to move our cuisine culture and community forward. And we, we hope that people will join us on our journey and we invite I'd love for you guys to tune in and watch the, the film and look at buying the book and tasting the cider as well. I think you've inspired everyone on this podcast today, Fidesz. What's, what's, I hope so. <laughs> what, what, if people want to find out more about the great things that you, Grace, and the team are doing, like what's the best way to sort of connect? Absolutely. So please connect with us on Instagram at entrepreneurs.pinais so and via our project website, thecalamacystory.com, and we'll be publishing the digital version of the book there as well. And the, the website has all the links to the book, the documentary, and the cider. As always, linked up in the show notes of this podcast. And Fidesz, like well done to what everything yourself, Grace, the team, your collaborators, your connectors, your supporters are doing for your community. It is humbling and it is really, you know, nourishing to see. Like congratulations and continued success. Thanks for coming on today's podcast. Thanks so much, Sean. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Principal Hospitality. I hope, as always, you really enjoyed that one. I know I definitely did. Please comment, like, and share this podcast with your friends in the industry, as always. And as I always say, we're making this content with the industry in mind, so we need you to share it along so we can continue going on strong. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. And until next time, stay well, everyone. Now, if you feel like you can never get on top of your back of house ops, you'll want to hear about our sponsor for this season, Loaded. Loaded's hospitality management software has changed the game for hospitality performance in New Zealand, and they've just arrived in Australia to help you do the same. Their everything in one place platform helps you master your reporting inventory, simplify your recipe and menu management, reduce your cogs, and become an epic central hub that immediately puts you in control. I've seen Loaded's impact firsthand, and if you're running a bar, pub, restaurant or cafe, you need to reach out to their team. Check them out at loadedhub.com.